Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. I do have some folks on the line. I will get to y'all. But uh, before we do that, let me bring on my guest. His name is Dr. Martin McCaffrey. And I want to make sure I get this correct. You are the director of the Perinatal Quality Collaborative of North Carolina. Is that, is that Did I get that right, sir? Well, Pete, yeah, that's one of the hats. I okay. I'm a neonatologist at UNC Chapel Hill, but here speaking with you for myself. Gotcha. Okay, so a, a neonatologist, uh, I will uh, divulge my ignorance here. What exactly is that field of medicine? What is that specialty? It, that is all things critically ill babies. Critically ill babies. So this is not like just some, uh, like you're delivering babies on a regular basis. No. This is... No deliveries, and it's uh, my life is in the neonatal intensive care unit. Oh, wow. Okay. So um, I imagine you've been following the developments of the Senate Bill 20 debate through the North Carolina legislature pretty closely. Um, yes, sir. And uh, so I, I noticed also our governor is uh, going around uh, on his statewide two-county tour trying to uh, get four lawmakers, at least one of them, to change their vote and sustain his veto um, he is calling Senate Bill 20 dangerous and radical. So, uh, well, I guess first, have you read the legislation? And if so, or if not, I mean, do you think that that is an accurate depiction of the legislation? Yeah, I have read the legislation, Pete. I actually um, was down there at the uh, assembly last week and spoke on this as well in my support of it. And I think it, it's a terrible characterization. Actually, this is a bill that potentially has great opportunity to improve the health of mothers. Um, it is not dangerous, and what it really does is try to bring us in line in North Carolina with the rest of the world in terms of reasonable regulation of care of unborn infants and respecting their lives. What is the generally what is the norm for abortion yeah. restrictions? Sure. I, so what happened, you know, North Carolina has a long history of this. So um, prior to the overturn of Dobbs, we were um, a state that was at a 24-week um, limit for abortion. And with the Dobbs decision, we reverted back to prior North Carolina legislation that was 20 weeks. So that's where we currently sit right now is as the overall gestational age where we talk about legal abortion. Um, in all cases, um, at this point, if there's risk to the life of the mother um, or rape or incest, there's exceptions for that. Where the rest of the world is, is actually, if, for instance, you look at Western Europe, um, their median for gestational age for abortion is 12 weeks, which is actually what SB 20 proposes, a 12-week regulation limit. Um, we are right now in the August company of other nations in the world that include Canada, the UK, North Korea, Vietnam, and China in being at a 20-week cutoff for abortion. What, are you saying that some of those cultures don't value life? 
I think we we've seen some sense of that um, in the news over the last five or ten years, and certainly, of course, we've seen that um, with the famine imposed on North Korea <laughs> and the one-child policy in China, which turned out to be an incredible mistake for the Chinese who have a, a demographic catastrophe on their hands. But yeah, I, I don't think it's a Gus company. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, the uh, governor has also said, well, the fine print here uh, effectively bans medication abortion at 10 weeks. It's going to shut down abortion clinics um, and basically says this is a, this is a ban on abortion in disguise under a 12 week restriction. But it's but it's actually going to going to going to basically ban all the abortions. Is that your assessment of what this bill will no. do? So so abortion is not going away in North Carolina. What this bill will do is ask North Carolinians to to take some kind of a stand on when we think a, a life is present that deserves being protected. Um, and it, it's not going to do away with abortion at all. Medical abortions right now, ACOG recommends that abortions medically be out to 10 weeks. Um, and, you know, that's going to remain. That is, is going to be something that mothers, if they choose to do so after informed consent, can certainly choose. And then there will still be allowance, obviously, for abortion out to 12 weeks, uh, depending on what a mother decides. And then thereafter, there are exceptions for rape, for incest, for the welfare of the mother. And then there's exceptions. Those are out to 20 weeks. There's exceptions out to 24 weeks for cases of life-limiting anomalies um, if moms are properly consented and decide that is the route that they wish to take. So you you wrote um, an op-ed about, I think, that that component, right, this informed consent that mothers... Uh, have to now, uh, according to this law, right? They're going to have to have more informed consent when making these decisions for those kids with those anomalies. That's correct. Yeah. So I, I think what is not really talked about much in, in the literature, although it's pretty well described, and there's some good publications that talk about this, but there's tremendous bias um, in the medical world. And I'll say, in my world of neonatology internationally, um, and in the maternal world um, internationally. And the, the sorts of problems we're talking about here, the big three would be, though there are many others, but lesser in number, would be trisomy 13, trisomy 18, extra chromosomes for those, just like Down syndrome. But Down syndrome actually is protected under this legislation. And then anencephaly, where you have incomplete formation of the brain. And these things have traditionally been called lethal, and mothers have traditionally been counseled as these being lethal anomalies. But the truth of the matter is that for all of these so-called lethal things have extended lives for these children. And no one is saying that all these children need to be saved and a mother shouldn't have the choice to end a pregnancy with a child like this. But what they should be is informed. And to this date, the literature is very clear. Mothers are not getting informed consent. Parents are not getting informed consent about the possibility for life for these babies. And it may not be a long life, but they are not being told, as ACOG, the American College of OBGYN, recommends, they are not being told about the real possibility for a life, even if short, through perinatal palliative care for their baby that would be treasured forever, or for a longer life with medical care if it was asked for by the families. And so this is an effort just to make sure knowing how biased the um, information families being given now is, 
that they receive full information before they decide that they want to go down the abortion road. So is this process different, this informed consent process different for pregnant women versus, I don't know, other procedures? Like, is there a level of informed consent and, and you know, checking boxes and making sure the doctors actually do the informed consent? Is there a... Yeah, is, yeah. yeah it, it's a great question, but it's interesting, right? So I was down at the legislature, and there are a number of folks who protested this bill saying that we don't need the legislator in my doctor's office. If I want to get an organ transplant, I don't need to go ahead and get permission from my legislator. Um, and what people really are, are just either unable to comprehend, unwilling to comprehend, or decide doesn't matter, is there's another life involved here. So it is not me alone making a decision for my own health. At some point, we have traditionally known um, throughout history, at least through the 1960s, that human life, a new distinct human life, began when that sperm and that egg got together. Um, and that is when life begins. Now, the conversation we're having now is at what point can we say we have to start protecting that life? Um, that's not, it's not open for discussion when life begins. We know when a new human being forms with all the building blocks to become a, a total whole person like you and me. Um, and then the other question is, is which human beings are we going to say are more expendable than others? And are we going to properly consent parents um, about those decisions that they're making? So it's different than if I wanted to go in for another medical procedure, in my view anyway, because it is another life that's involved. Right. Is, I've said for several years now that the, the the debate is not over when life begins it's a debate over when rights obtain when the because you have competing rights at issue and it becomes a very philosophical kind of question and i don't think a lot of people are kind of equipped to have that philosophical discussion mainly because we were thanks to roe v wade we were spared right the, the argument we didn't have to really think about it because oh well court was you know the court settled it and so we don't have to have this discussion and now dobbs has returned it back to us where we are having these discussions yeah i which i think is actually a great thing but it's a challenging thing too right because yeah. we have 50 discussions going on about <laughs> i mean but but honestly for those who support abortion um even up until you know the point of before delivery i mean it, it becomes clear in these conversations and these protests that they don't really believe there's another life there that's at issue at all. Um, it, it appears to be that it's, you know, the delivery process that grants life to some of these folks. Now, a lot of us, um, a lot of people are in the middle at this point, for sure. It seems like most North Carolinians, when you look at surveys, are not in favor of, you know, third trimester or, or later pregnancy abortions. They want some reasonable restrictions. But you're right. Now is the time we have to decide where are those restrictions going to be. And I think the 12-week cutoff is a great cutoff. It's the first trimester. By the end of 12 weeks, you've got a fully formed um, little baby. I mean, call it an embryo, moving into a fetus, if you like. That's a scientific nomenclature right now. But that is, is a, uh, a, an organism that has all of the major organs. They will grow over time but all the major organs are there. There's a face there. There's hands that are moving. There's feet that are moving. And we now even know there's a lot of literature showing that there's development of pain pathways that are starting at 12 weeks. 
Um, and babies at that point probably can even experience pain. We do know that at 15 weeks with fetal surgeries, um, most of the time fetal surgeons now are giving pain support to the babies when they undertake fetal surgeries. Mm. Dr. Marty McCaffrey, uh, retired U.S. Navy as well. Thank you for your service. I appreciate your time today, sir. Thanks, sir. All right, take care. Talking with you. you too, you. sir. Thank you. Oh, hey, real quick, before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Let me go to the phone lines here. We got some people who were calling in, um, and I got some emails here regarding my conversation, if you could even call it that, with Randall before the top of the hour news. Joseph, welcome to the program. Hello, Joseph. Hello, sir. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Hey, I'm I'm all right. Well, um, uh, I really don't even want to talk about Randall now. <laughs> uh, um, uh, Roy Cooper. Is an idiot. Just okay. a simple Fair. opinion yeah. of mine. Uh, Randall is just uninformed. Uh, your special guest was wonderful. Yeah, Doctor really McCaffrey. Enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you are. In the beginning was the word. <laughs> logic is logic. Yeah. It, it's it's not it's not that hard. <laughs> no, it's. I, I got a message here. I think it was from uh, Twitter that said, uh, "Yeah, the Trump derangement syndrome. This, uh, you know, th- this, uh, this, this barking mentality. Uh, are you voting for Trump? Are you voting for Trump? Are you voting for Trump? Like this constant haranguing. It's like I again, like I don't. Not only we don't even know what the field looks like yet. Why would I have to say whether or not I'm voting for him right now, one way or the other? It's just, it's absurd. Like. This one, I, when I say Trump broke people's brains, pro and con, right. this is what I mean. Right. Absurdity is when people do not listen to your show and pay attention to what you say. Yeah. <laughs> and call in and try to argue with you. <laughs> right. Like that's, it's, yeah, the logic of it. Oh, okay. So I'm going to publicly, I'm going to publicly state my opposition to Donald Trump as a candidate and then take all of the grief. For the last, I mean, this goes back to 2016, you know, so I'm going to I'm going to take all of that grief for all these years, but I'm going to secretly vote for the guy <laughs> because that's what that's logical. Yeah. yeah, it's absurd. Joseph, I appreciate the call, sir. Thanks for uh, making it. Oh, yeah. All right. Absolutely. All right. Take and- care. Robert has been hanging on a very long time. Hello, Robert. Welcome to the show. Robert. Hey, how you doing, Pete? Oh, I'm, I'm OK. How are you? Oh, just driving this big rig down the road. I hear you. I literally hear it. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> about Trump, why should he bother going to court? It's predetermined. You I don't. That. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm. I, I guess I would like to think it wasn't. But if you don't show, then you guarantee that they will use it against you, right? You, I mean, then, then it's a foregone conclusion. You know that. And so, like, I would agree with you 
on the front end. Like, for example, when when people were like, oh, we should go to New York and protest Donald Trump's indictment. Right. When people were trying to organize that. And I said, do not do that. Do not go to New York. Don't even give them an opportunity to charge you. But that being said, once the the case has been filed, whether it's criminal or civil, then there is a I mean, then it's a different kind of line of thinking, I would I think I, I think there's a different strategy at play. What do you think? Well, I just think it's a waste of time because, like you just said before, the justice system is 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 it's broken. I mean, if you're if if you're on the right and you're in New York, DC, you're not going to get a fair trial. And and maybe that's that is the case with him in this. Um, in this case, right? Uh, that that might very well be true. And uh, like, if I had to wager, I would say you're probably correct. Um, but I also, I mean, I've seen some of the comments and some of the backgrounds of the jurors in this case. However, when you don't even attend to get up on the stand and make your case for yourself, um, then you are, I mean, you're resigning yourself to let them write that narrative. And they did. Yeah, I, I understand your point. Yeah, and I don't know. Look, yeah, I mean, they may have, yeah, they may have had a much better. I'm assuming. Well, they probably did, right? They had a, they had a better read on on who those jurors were and what they were going to think about things and that sort of stuff. Um, but I just like if, like the my biggest question is why didn't they prepare him for essentially the only piece of evidence connecting him to the accuser was that photograph. And how is it that he looked at that photograph and said, that's Marla Maples? How would, I mean, how did that happen? I, like, I cannot fathom how that happens. That, that was a problem. Yeah, well, one more thing. Yeah, yeah. What, what's that caller's name? Starts with R. Randall. Yeah, <laughs> you have the patience of a saint. I would have hung up on him after the first exchange. Well, but see, that's the thing. Like, what is the what is the rush rule? Rush Limbaugh's rule on callers. Do you remember the job of the caller? I remember all the rules, even though I listen to them. Yeah, every yeah. Day. Well, you'll know it as soon as I say it. The job of the caller is to make the host look good, and Randall. That's right. That's exactly right. Right. Randall makes me look good. Every time he calls you. Exactly right. All right, Robert, I appreciate it. Have a good day. You too. Take it easy. That's it. And that's what I said at the beginning. What Randall fails to recognize is I enjoy that. Like, to me, that's fun. That's fun. When When I get to just gut somebody like that and just, like, kind of turn the knife and slice it diagonally up and down and then swirly swirl all over the like that's fun. It's because because Randall has a pattern. I don't know if he realizes it or not, but he's got a pattern. And once you hear the pattern and you identify it, then then Randall is a paper tiger. Rhetorically speaking, right? I mean, I'm sure he works out, but whatever like you know, no, this is all this is all just debate, right? This is all just rhetoric. And so once you learn what his style is, and his style is to what? It's to falsely frame somebody's position and then argue off of what that false position that he constructed was. And there is a term for this, and you've probably heard it. It's a straw man. It's a straw man. You take the, 
right? You take this, you take this uh, 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 form, and you stuff it with straw, and then you light it on fire, or you beat it up, right? But you constructed the thing, and you made it easily inflammable, right? You made it easily destroyed. So, so no, it's it is a bad faith tactic because it's not actually my argument; it's your argument. You said the argument. And you try to ascribe it to me, which is why I always make a point to say, essentially, objection, right? I say, I don't agree with your framing. I always start off by saying that. But he wanted to go to another point, and I was going to let him go to the other point, because I wasn't going to argue the first point. But then he just couldn't help himself. He had to restate it and add something else. And at that point, it's like, okay, we're, we're going to have this argument first then, right? Because you don't... I don't allow that stuff to go unchallenged unless I see a bigger fish to fry in the debate. And then I'll say, okay, I'll just, you know, I'll accept it for the, for the sake of this argument. I'll, I won't challenge it and I'll just go to the next level, whatever you, for the bigger fish. There was no bigger fish, right? Randall didn't have a larger point. His point is always the same, which is Trump bad, you bad because you Trump. That's it. And you noticed what happened <clears throat> when I told him that I did not vote for Trump. That is what we call cognitive dissonance, right? His brain did not work. It literally stops working. The brain cannot communicate with itself because it has been presented with information that it cannot decipher. It is at odds with his understanding of the way things are and what truth is. And so when presented with this, what did he end up saying? He, right, he made a fool of himself because he says that I, I lied about that. That has, it's got to be a lie. And that is absurd because, again, the logic is not on his side. It's absolutely absurd. Why would I lie about not voting for him? If anything, I would lie about voting for him, right? That's the easy, I mean, that's the easier position to take. I've talked about this before, and anybody who has listened to me for any given period of time, you've heard me talk about it before, where I had to have a conversation with my previous boss at, uh, in Asheville about this because I was concerned, like, I'm going to say what I think about this stuff, and it may cost me an audience, and then uh, I'm going to get fired. I said, but I recognize that going in. But I, I, I'm not going to be able to lie for, you know, because if he's the nominee and then he wins, like, I'm going to lie for six years, eight years, whatever it is. I'm not going to do that. Now, that being said, I don't bash the guy when I don't think he's done anything wrong. And that's what drives a lot of the never Trumpers crazy, is that if you're not bashing Trump on everything 24-7, they, they consider me to be a Trump fan. And if I'm not praising him 100% of the time, then, uh, yeah, right, then I'm a never Trump, Trump deranged syndrome. Like, no, I just, I don't let him dictate my views on everything. All right, now you've heard me talk about him. Old Grouch's military surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will 
consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. Let me bring on Ernest. Welcome to the program, Ernest. How are you? Hey, Pete. How are you? Hey, I'm, I'm well. How are you? Okay. i just thinking about all this stuff. Uh, first thought in my mind was uh, Brett Kavanaugh's persecution mm-hmm. with the woman that couldn't remember anything. Mm-hmm. She was. Well, Very which good. one? There were like three of them that couldn't remember everything. Well, particularly the one that didn't take... <laughs> take airlines but ended up flying everywhere yeah 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 she was so traumatized and, by it that's right and and uh this went up in new york and uh and of course we've got the opposite side of the fence with the former uh former aide staff aide uh, joe biden that gives rather graphic uh testimony as to what joe biden did to her, but it seems like a number of factors are involved here. You have a lack, you have a media which is, has no critical interest in who these individuals are and really the validity of their story. Uh, the venues that you have, particularly like in New York, are so anti-conservative or Republican. Or, and, you know, it, it is this get Trump thing. Mm-hmm. He's not a politician. A politician would avoid the third rail on any time they talk. He just can't seem to keep his mouth shut. And if he is the nominee for the Republican Party, he will self-destruct because to me, I voted for him. I would never consider it again. He is so grievance-filled, he will destroy himself and take this country down uh, a second time. Uh, that's, that's just how I look at it, because unless you had a news media, TV media that was willing to get critical analysis of all of these issues, you're, you're handicapped already. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to get your opinion on that. I think, I think it's more than just Donald Trump. I think it's, it's the fact he is who he is, but it's also in the environment that you're in a judicial venue that will not, uh, they won't, they won't give you the benefit of the doubt, and uh, it's just uh, and the news media. Well, right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, you've got a you got a couple things going on, right? Like you've got sort of the changing nature of the people who are in journalism. Um, Matt Taibbi and Glenn Greenwald have talked about this very thing. I've talked about it for years, which is uh, there are a lot of uh, I call them trustafarians, right? Uh, a lot of very wealthy kids from. Uh, upper class or upper middle class backgrounds from the from the elites, you know, they they go to school, they get their degrees in meet in you know journalism or broadcast, whatever, and then they uh, they go to work in these major markets, and they don't view themselves as you know fighting for uh, the the lower class, the blue collar workers, the little guys. They don't they don't see that as the job, and and historically that 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 was how reporters saw themselves because they were the, of that class, right? These were people that were blue collar, you know, lower uh, class or lower middle class. You know, they were not wealthy people uh, that got into that line of work. And so what happened then is that um, they kind of attached themselves to the power structure that the media people have. 
and uh, they they're no longer there to speak truth to power. They are there to promote a particular viewpoint. And so if the the power that is in charge, if they are of the same political philosophy, they don't speak truth to that. Right. So to your point about the media, you know, choosing which trials to cover and that sort of thing, you know, CNN, MSNBC, even C-SPAN did not cover live on their television, did not cover the House Oversight News Conference today. Where well, they, I understand that. Yeah. I understand what, that. But, but there were probably people searching for that on these other sites yes, that I, turned to Fox. I, you know, I have to believe yes. that because you don't get some of the ratings that Fox was developing. Uh, they had crossover. Yeah. But, uh, you know, people, I think that's, if, if, if people weren't doing that, I think Joe Biden's poll ratings would be much higher than what they were. American people are beginning to realize what's going on. I, well, and I think Joe Biden benefited from Donald Trump being his opponent, much like Trump benefited from Hillary Clinton being his. Oh, sure. You know, and, uh, but I don't think Trump will be the nominee. I have no idea. <laughs> I gave up making those kinds of predictions in 2016. I refuse to do any more. Ernest, I appreciate the call, Take sir. Care. All Thanks. right, you too. Yeah, like I was, uh, I realized in 2016, you know, I'm I'm looking at the polls. I'm I'm all into it. I'm, oh, you know, Hillary Clinton's going to win all the polls and this and that. And then, of course, she doesn't. And I'm like, you know what? I don't need to do this anymore. Why am I doing this? Just so I get to brag afterwards that I totally read the polls right? What What? Be, what do I get out of that? Who cares? Right? Because it's not like if I got it wrong, like people would... Well, actually, they did. They Yeah, they totally skewered me afterwards. That's another reason I don't do it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I know I'm not good at it. And jury trials. I don't do that either. Don't make those predictions. I'm just wrong, wrong, wrong. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.